piles of dirt. That's all that was left of a place I spent so many formative years. With two parents who worked, affordable daycare was a must. And at two and a half, I was dropped off at Discovery Day School and Camp, where I would spend every summer from then on until I was 13. And friends, it was a lawless place, wild and free, where teenagers were in charge when they weren't sneaking off to have a smoke or listen to Ozzy Osbourne. When we were old enough, or close to it, we could grab the keys of the golf cart and ride around the grounds. Swim time was twice a day, and you couldn't wait to jump in the deep end and see how long you could hold your breath. I remember everything about this place. The preschool days were on crisp fall afternoons. We would nap on cots in the big room, our drool making little stains on the fabric. I remember the carpet and its interlocking green and blue shapes, the way the old school bus smelled that was parked in the back of the property, the bee stings, the sunburns, attempting to smoke a piece of hay. And now, now, it's gone. No pool, no bus, no fallen tree we used to eat lunch on, no archery wall that was wildly unsafe for anyone walking nearby. No horses, no chicken coop, no rickety tree house. No four-square court under the flagpole where we sang songs to mark the end of another camp day. If I sound a little choked up, well, I am. I'm going to miss a place that defined me and where I discovered a lot about myself, good and bad. And like so many things, I wish I had just one more look before it was gone. Processing loss understanding your true creative self and that particular salvation offered by the clarinet. We're talking through all of that and more with joy and gratitude and with a little bit of sorrow as we play the sacred notes that open up the portal inside us that leads us to the deep night. Deep night with Oh, friends, hello. It's me, Der Seaver, and once again I will be your host, guide, and guru for this next hour of regrets and revelations we call The Deep Night. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. An avid reader of Gowanus history, I was reminded the other day that the Gowanus Creek, which of course had been tended to and relied upon by the indigenous Canarsie people, once served to turn the gristmills of the Dutch as they were powered by the tides. The gristmills, not the Dutch, although perhaps that uh, was also true. And now here is our little Gowani serving to turn the grains of my thoughts into the dusty flour from which we bake our podcasts. And we're baking some delicious audio content for you on the show tonight. As far as personal updates, uh, the vaccine is now fully coursing through my body. I remain a little on the fence about taking off the masks, as I alluded to. Uh, we did spend some time visiting with Dale Sr. at the Ancestral Seaver home. And uh, to be clearing out an attic with your aged kin, not having to worry about their health, 
Well, I worry about their health because, let's face it, there's a lot going on for them. None of it seems good. But it's a relief to scratch out just one line on the worry chart. You know, just scratch that one out as long as the science holds. I'm still taking my tinctures just to be on the safe side. And Galinda has also gotten the vaccination, and some nights we just stand in this new apartment, staring at our sleep hammocks and all of our half-unpacked boxes of essential oil diffusers and souvenir hemp sacks, hopeful that someone will call and we can go enjoy a Negroni on the roof. And perhaps it'll happen. Judging by how little we have to say to one another after a year inside, I hope it happens soon. Luckily, I have this program where I can encourage someone to spend a little time with me via internet telephony. This week, I was fortunate to connect with Chicago-based composer, clarinetist, pianist, singer, songwriter, force of the cosmos, Angel Bat-Duid. Angel's album, The Oracle, was how I first got to know her work, and it's a beautiful collection of music. And then late last year, she released the sensational album Live, which traces her first European tour and her experiences as a black woman in Europe in 2019. It's a sonic journey that brings you through it, friends, from the joyful to the mournful to the exasperated to the sublime. From a song like Black Family to the instrumental London, I found myself moved on several levels, and a tear may have escaped these old Seaver peepers more than once. Whenever someone is so authentically themselves as Angel proves in her music and in this interview, it makes for a great time. So let's go now to my conversation with Angel Bat-Duid. Angel Bat-Duid, welcome to the deep night. Thank you for having me. I'm deep in the night. <laughs> we are. The oracle is present. <laughs> I am here. And how does this day find you? Actually, very wonderful day. Um, having a few plumbing issues at my house right now. So I've Uh-oh. had to like, go outside the house to, you know, take care of business and stuff. <laughs> That's but, fun. Yeah, for a few days. But you know what? The silver lining is I realized that if I was stuck in the forest or camping, I'd be just fine. Oh, well, that's a good thing to know. Fine without a toilet. I mean, we did it for millions of years. <laughs> did we not? And we, they seemed to be okay. So. Yes, we thrived. We thrived, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, still, I hope that gets resolved. It is. They're fixing it right now. So oh. I'm working today, which I'm so happy about. Yeah. Good, good. <laughs> uh, that's all positive. Um, well, I consider this podcast to be like free jazz, so we should have a good time of it. Oh, I love it. I love free jazz. Free jazz, free to me. Yes, it is. Free jazz, free to me. So let's free jazz it up. Yes. Okay. And we'll talk about some of that too. I'd I'd like to do that. And uh, but first, I'm guessing that uh, you are a fellow Libra. Is that true? I am. Okay. Good. United. You know, we're all about that balance. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Balance. The thing, though, is this is what people don't know about us. Yeah, go ahead. And we can balance a bad situation. Yeah. We can, if, if we if, It could be a messed up, toxic, fucked up situation. But if we can balance it, <laughs> stay in it, that's the problem. Yeah. That's yeah. gotten me into problems before. Yes, it's very easy to uh, justify and or appease <laughs> that situation enough that you can stay in it. I uh, know. <laughs> well, yeah, it is about balance, but what are we balancing? It is. 
Plus, sometimes I find myself uh, going rapidly in one direction and just as quickly running the other direction. Exactly. And I give yeah. ourselves permission because, you know, it's okay for me to change. You know, they say like Libras are flaky. I'm yeah. like, okay. Okay, then. Well, I changed my mind and I have <laughs> the right to change my mind. Like I did want to do something really. I did. I wanted to do it. But guess what? A few hours later, I didn't want to do it. So I'm not going to yes. do it. <laughs> yes. But don't think for a moment that I didn't sit in that uh, <laughs> feeling for as long as I needed to. Exactly, Dale. Let me tell you, yes. Yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to get along. This is good. Now, first of all, uh, I want to say thank you for uh, the music that you make and your presence in the world. Uh, we featured a lot of musicians on this show over the years, and while many of them come from a kind of uh, country or a folk tradition, I was thinking that your album Live might be the most American album we've ever talked about. Wow. That's some great insight. I never looked at it that way, but that's true. It is a very American album. It feels that way. It is It yeah. is raw. It is improvisational. It is emotional. It is black. I mean, it's 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 of the now. Yes, most definitely. That's a great assessment. Thank you, Dale. And the album came out uh, last year in that cauldron of 2020. Uh, but it does seem to be one of the rare things that is becoming even more urgent and important as time goes on. Does it feel that way for you? Yeah, it's definitely a sense of urgency. And I'm glad that you used that word because that is what um, living in a world where racism exists still, there should always be that sense of urgency for it. It shouldn't have to be all of the things that happened last year. Right. You know, there should have always been, I've always had that sense of urgency. Like the, the actual album was recorded in 2019, my first tour in Europe. So here I am, black woman. I've been to Europe before, but like on tour, I'm on work with all my black friends and the things that I was noticing, the ways that I was feeling, it wasn't really about what people are doing to me. It was how I was feeling in that situation, you know, and I was feeling very other. I was feeling very ostracized. I was feeling very like, I was feeling racism, Yeah, you know, which is what I feel being a black artist. And so I was feeling a bunch of it and I didn't really know how to express it. The only way I know how to express that is through my music, you know, right. So everything that I was feeling during that day, that's what you hear on the album. That's how that was our first show. Like, hello, Europe, <laughs> you're here. All these black folks. Wow. Here, and that was our first show. And the things that were happening with the festival and the, the way I was feeling, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do our set, but I'm going to do it all on this show. I'm going to put all my emotions because that's, that's why I have the brotherhood. They're my brothers for real. They're my best friends. Yes. All of us, we have jammed together you know, one-on-one -on -one with each other. And then a lot of us hadn't seen each other in a long time. Like Asher Kometze, he lives in South Africa. He just so happened to be available uh, for the tour. And so we hadn't seen him in like months. So it was just like everything that you're hearing on that album is like us coming together as a family, me dealing with all the stuff that I was feeling and them supporting me with that musically, intuitively, improvisationally. Um, with songs from the Oracle, that's that's what the album is. It's really live. Like, it's my life. For real, for real. In yes. and, and responding to real situations in real time. Yes, exactly. In real time. Yeah. That Everything you're feeling is in real time. Even like when I had to, um, you know, because when it came out, I wanted to put the album out because the music is so great that, you know, like I was just amazed at my brothers and how good we sounded. You know? <laughs> and we hadn't seen each other. You know, like for real, we had like one little rehearsal not even a rehearsal, it was a sound check, like hours 
just got off the plane and then boom, they just was, they was just ready to play. And uh, that was the real reason why I wanted to put out, but there was just all this backstory. So I was very, very um, conscious about that. And like, I don't want to try to ruffle no feathers, but I have to talk about it. And um, it was really a great way to do that was through this album. Yeah. It's like, it really was happening. I confronted them on the album, you know, because at first they were like, well, I wish y'all had told me, uh, I wish you had told us beforehand. I'm like, excuse me, that means you didn't listen to the music at all because I literally on the record say y'all treated me like shit. <laughs> I told you guys. Like, right. Right. hello, and it right there at that moment. And it only takes like a year later, me putting out an album. Like if I had to put out an album and if I had addressed it, no one would say anything. You know, yeah. it's just like, come on, you didn't even listen to the music. Then why do you have a festival? Why <laughs> do you have a festival? Nobody goes to a festival to see the promoter or the HR department. No. They come there to see the musicians. And if a musician feels uncomfortable, slighted in some way, and of course, I'm going to think I'm being slighted because I'm Black. I don't care what nobody says. People like, oh, you're pulling the race card. Yes, I am because how I feel, you know? I feel like because of so historically and traditionally how they treat artists of color. I'm a Black woman. I'm coming to Europe, which is mostly white where all these ideas come from. And you don't think I have a bit of little reservation about going into stuff? Of course I do. Like that's right. natural. That's just right. a natural human being. So of course, if I'm being slighted in some way, the first thing that a lot of black people think is, are they doing this to me because I'm black? And that is a justifiable, reasonable thought. That's the thing about it. It's a reasonable thought, you know, looking at past. And, and so then when I was in the hotel room and all these things were happening with how they were treating my, me and my band, I was thinking to myself about my predecessors. I'm not going through shit. You know what I mean? Like, they went through. Like, I'm thinking about, like, Nina Simone and, and like, all of them. And, like, I was at this hotel that was called the Duke Ellington Hotel. It's all dedicated to all these jazz artists. So I'm in my mm -hmm. room, and I'm looking at all these great Black musicians. And I'm like, but wait a minute. Y'all still treating me like this? And, like, what did they have to go through? Right, right. What did they go and that made me even more angry because I'm like, why should they have had to gone through all of that? And y'all want all this great music that they make from America is American, you know? Yeah. And y'all want to treat these Black Americans like this. Want their music, but you want to treat them like shit. And then here I am getting like a little nugget of that, like a tiny little morsel of that right now. So by the time I hit the stage, I was ready. Right. Oh, no, we ain't doing this no more. Y'all ah, ah, going to say the Black family is the strongest institution. Well, you're going to say it. You're going to say it out your mouth. <laughs> you know, it was like that. And it just felt so good, you know, because um, also in the crowd was a lot of my friends. There was a lot of great jazz musicians who were there already. Yeah. And so it just turned into a good thing. So like when we address these issues that seem so controversial, people think the outcome is going to be like everybody's mad. But actually, that's not what happened. At the end of the show, people were coming to me hugging me. Thank right. you. Right. It was wonderful, you know. Well, it's the, the inescapable context of where you're operating, where you're presenting from anyway. So it's good to address it and to include it on the album, which mm -hmm. did remind me of uh, one of the albums of Nina Simone, where she kind of chastises the band leader or piano player or somebody for getting the tempo wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's left in in the, in the track where, no, 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 we're going to do this right, you know. <laughs> You had all the time to prepare. You know what you're supposed to do. And uh, I always appreciated that. Um, and uh, the, the album, of course, moves through many different uh, uh, moves. And it is that push and pull between sort of confrontation and feeling unease and then feeling joyful and then yeah. feeling like uh, uh, 
that you are putting a demand on the audience, but also like, yes, <laughs> you're entitled to put that demand on the audience uh, because some of it is just simple respect and simple acknowledgement of what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, I wondered uh, how this um, uh, moment right now feels like to you where all of our masks are coming off, literally, metaphorically. <laughs> We've all been kind of exposed for who we are, faults and all. But also there's a kind of opening up of things and we're trying to uh, embrace whatever this uh, time is where we're putting the virus hopefully behind us and, and going going forward. How do you feel creatively around this? Oh my goodness, Dale, I'm so glad that you put things together in that way because it's definitely like everything that we're going through is metaphor for what we're going through internally as humanity. Humanity needed to slow down. We did. We were doing way too much and we were doing a lot of great things, but it's like, Okay, you're doing all this stuff for what? Right. What, so I can get to A to B faster? Okay, so I want a better car so I can drive faster to some job that I hate anyway. Well, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, let's slow down and reassess why we have these technologies while we're here as humanity. And that's really what this year has been for me creatively. I got to slow down. Now I'm working from home. I didn't yeah. have this studio pre-COVID. I didn't, you know? Um, but because of COVID, I had to work from home. This is something I've been trying to do is get my studio up and running. And it's been this studio that has kept me up and running during the <laughs> pandemic. Like, literally, I wouldn't have no work if I hadn't had taken the time to make it so that I can do work um, yeah. when, when the demands are needed. You know, so it built that. All the virtual shows that I did, I leveled up on, like, understanding what video editing is, you know. And um, I'm working on a lot of, I'm working on, like, a lot of albums this year and so being able to mix my own stuff like now i don't have to give somebody else can you mix it for me i can actually mix it send it to them you know just like virtually doing it so like all of these things were like level ups of like let's because a lot of this stuff to learn it you have to take the time to learn it Absolutely. You, know I mean? yeah. you need time to you know figure out what you need to do and stuff and when i was running around and it had time to sit down and, and do the things that I need to level up to make my career, you know, be be as be more lucrative. You know what I mean? Have right. access to more things, you know. And this has gotten me so many jobs being able to do this. So I think as we pull the mask off, um, and I think masking up symbolizes, and I think we're gonna have some decades. Um, and I think we need to ponder on that. Like, why do why do we mask up? You know, masking is a thing that you see in a lot of African cultures. They get the mask on. You know, there's this guy, uh, Joseph Campbell. He writes all these books on mythology and stuff. Sure. But um, somebody told, you know, he studied about mask and why you see it so prevalent. And there's still like a lot of mystery that, and maybe that's it, it's like the mystique, the mystery of it. Um, so as we are literally uncovering, taking off the mask, what what do we find? You know? Um, mask hide things, but we're at a point where we're now going to be re revealing or, you know, and it's so like deep because like I, I read the Bible a lot, Revelation, yeah. like it's going to be revealed. And it's so crazy because like that 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 book and, you know, that the, the mythology of that book and the imagery of that book is something that's like very prevalent whenever world crises happen in the world, which is why I think books and literature like that exist. Apocalyptic literature exists because there's always going to be times where, is this the end of the world? Right. It's always going to be times like that. Right. And so when you have those times, people, ancient people wrote down 
well, this is why, you know? And so that's why we study those. So like we're in one of those, is this the end of the world? As we know it. And I feel fine. You know what I mean? Right. It's one of those, those climactic things. So when I think of like my work and, and creatively, I think of it like mythology. You know what I mean? So like the stories that you read in, 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 in the Bible myths, in Greek myths, and whoever mytho- whatever mythology your background you come from, those stories are not lies or just fairy tales. They're, they're stories that are crafted with a lot of information in there that can tell you about yourself, about humanity and things like that. But they put it in a story. All right. And I'm right. sorry. I feel like we need to kind of go like, okay. Thank you, modern science. Y'all are cute with your, the atom and the whatever. Okay. I kind of like the idea of like, no, it's not an atom. It was an egg that fell from the sky and then it split. And then I mean, it's all it was, was just a way to describe what we see in the universe in a more beautiful way. Yeah. And, and that's all it is. So like, if we ignore the mythologies, if we ignore the lore, if we ignore all of that, we miss, we're, we're going to miss out on a lot of information. So creatively, I, I craft my art that way. And I get a lot of this from Sun Ra, just from listening to his music, listening to the music of Sun Ra and how he's like, no, I'm a myth scientist. Right. He, right. he made making mythology a science. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm yes. not from Alabama. I am from Saturn. <laughs> All right. Where there's only black people there. You know, it's just like, yes, I like that myth. Tell me more. You right. know, so like a lot of the work I do is about mythology. Even when you hear the, the album, it's a, it, it was a storyline. Even though it was all improvised, the story was coming out. And the end of the story was that we were in unity. Because yeah. that's the whole point of why I'm doing this. At the end of the album, I told everyone, y'all, just stop here and remember what this feels like. Okay. You guys are German. I'm black. We got all this crazy history together. But right now, we are resonating in harmony. Yes. Remember this and do more of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I like so much of what you've just said, um, because certainly that those myth building and that uh, the storytelling does help us through difficult moments and helps us understand the world or escape from the world or be able to process things that are very difficult. I know you've also spoken about uh, spirituals and uh, blues being a very concrete method of just processing trauma. Um, And uh, I was very uh, uh, drawn to what you said about that. And I wondered if now you find yourself uh, drawn to different kind of sounds or if you found your music has been helpful in processing trauma. Yes, music is definitely helpful in processing trauma. And this Black music, this is why I have to make everyone aware, because everyone wants to put this music into, like, an entertainment box. Mm. Okay? And then they want to put it in a box where, like, oh, anyone can just play it. You know, it's like, yes, anyone can. But there has to be this premise that needs to be reiterated, that this music came from a particular um, thing that Black people did called the spirituals, particularly Black people in America who were enslaved against their will for hundreds of years, okay? So there's I when I first started getting into the jazz scene, because I, I started classical, you know, and I was doing hip-hop. Nobody knew who I was, but I was always doing music. Like, yeah. I just never stopped music, like, my whole life. Um, but when I started getting into the jazz scene, I started noticing more and more. I was like, I don't, where are all the black people? For real, like, where are the black people in the audiences? Where where are black people playing black music? There's, of course, there's hundreds and millions of black musicians that I personally know. For real, I know so many. And I just wasn't seeing the representation. 
And it was making me upset and uncomfortable. I was getting that uncomfortable feeling again. I'm like, mm-hmm. what is this? Why am I going in here feeling like I don't want to see this white boy play that when he don't know the context of it? I don't want to hear you play that when you don't even want to, when you don't even know a spiritual. How do you, yeah. you don't even know what spirituals are? And so a lot of that is not his fault. It has to do with intellectual racism that happens at universities. It's the universities. When, you, when I was in music school, I never heard about the AACM. Wouldn't that have been nice for me as a black woman to hear about a experimental, uh, you know, uh, musician collective who were who have Pulitzer? I didn't hear any of that. Women, mu- black women composers? Oh, I never heard one. Yeah, still <laughs> rare to hear about, isn't it? When there's millions, <laughs> right? A right. black woman composer is not like an anomaly. There are millions. Of black women composers, millions of black women. Because like most people come to me, they're like, "Oh, you're a musician? You sing, huh?" Because it doesn't phantom in people's minds that a black woman could play multiple instruments, could compose, could, could record. So that's why, like, I always have been like, "I got to do this so that some little black girl can like say, oh, there's a black woman with a clarinet. Just have a marker in her head. Like, right. it's super, it's super important, you know? Like, there's just yeah. a lot that I do. So when you talk about, like, the sound and spirituals, you know, this isn't an on-off switch. This is, you know, it's like, it's like what I am is just going to be in the music, you know? Um, I'm deeply interested in the spirituals. There's some, I've been studying them a lot. You know, I grew up in the church, so I remember those old songs. I have them. I'm so blessed. Woo! I'm so blessed that I have like the originals in my head because I was in it, you know, like when mm-hmm. I was born in 1979 and we were in churches where some of the elders in there were in their 90s. And see, I have like this memory where I can remember a lot of my childhood and I remember being small around these elders. So if you think if there's an elder who's in his 80s or 90s in 1979 and I'm hearing him sing this, he, he, him, definitely his parents were slaves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he, he's 90 in 1979. Right. And I'm a little child listening to those sounds. So I'm so grateful that I grew up hearing it because now when I'm studying them, like on a more scholarly level, like um, like I have an anthology of slave songs that I've been studying, work songs that I study. I get uh, I have a lot of vinyl records. Any of those like Lomax, John Lomax, what's his name? It's Folkways records. Yes. Yeah. I always get I always get those because I have to study the original sound, you know? And right. then with that, with me fast forward to 2021 as a black woman who's descendants of people with this particular thing and I'm kind of like holding the torch, how do we want this sound to continue? And what I'm seeing is like, there's some, there, it's not balanced. Mm. You know, my Libra scale is like, no. Yep, um, yep. gotta fix is, that. We, we gotta get this balance, y'all. You know, <laughs> um, and so all my work will probably all my work is going to be that until I see a difference. Right, right. Um, well, I want to go back to the um, one, I think, the idea of uh, unifying everything. Uh, that also connects to 2020 and that so many of the uh, painful times of that and all the times of it, uh, we all shared in some way or another. So there is a kind of leveling that happens now. Some people will step forward, some people won't. But uh, we... we all have that common experience of going through that. Um, so perhaps there's an opportunity from that to to unite some voices around that and move forward. Then I have to have. I, I can I, be I, hopeful. I, for, for me, it's like, look, this shit's going to happen. 
Like, <laughs> like, it's like, no, we're not going to, you're not going to, we're not going to do this anymore because we don't have to. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. we, we don't have to do this thing anymore. It's always there. It yeah. didn't just get there out of nowhere because of Trump. Come on now. Trump yeah. didn't start racism, please. <laughs> <laughs> what I always said when people's like, what do you think about, you know, Trump when he was in, I was like, that's America. He's the perfect representation. And a lot of a lot of people did not want it. It's hard for people to deal with. So like, no, I'm not like that. I'm like, Trump is you. Right. right. That is America. That's a part of that uh, unmasking is, is seeing unmasking that for what it is. Yeah. We're yeah. not in a good place. Okay. <laughs> this right. is us. Right. Don't lie. Like, I know you may not agree, but you we have to own it. That's that's the representation of America. Yeah. If that's the representation. What are we going what are we going to do? Cuz I don't want that anymore. <laughs> no, and I think uh, you were able to uh, really express those feelings and connected to the clarinet uh, and being a, a sort of presenting an image of what that looks like uh, to to be you playing a clarinet. Uh, I went back and watched the video of you at the wonderful um, co-prosperity sphere space, which I have been to. It's a wonderful space in Chicago. Um, and there's a, a video of you uh, playing one of the uh, uh, the song um, about the black family. And by the end of it, you're there on the ground, uh, sort of spread out there with the clarinet above your head. I mean, full of uh, every emotion, I imagine. <laughs> there's some uh, anger there. There's some joy, probably. There's some just pureness to to expression that's happening. And my goodness, what a model for people to see as an example of one way to be in the world. Yeah, you know, I call it, we just be wilding out, honestly. Like, <laughs> brotherhood. Yeah. Like, we have had, if I can tell y'all how many jam sessions I've had with all of those brothers. Like, we would just call each other, what you doing? Come through and jam. And we would jam for hours. And it was, like, the safest place because, like, we, you could do whatever you want. Right. You could crawl on a wall. You could break your instrument apart. And we didn't care. It was just, like, we just created space for us to, like, completely be ourselves. Yeah. And I I play with all of them because none of them are hesitant. Like, if, if someone goes off, we're all like, okay, we're going into which <laughs> Like, no one's going to be like. No one does that in in our ensemble. They were all like, "Oh, you going in? Let's go!" You know, so right, um, right. you never know what's gonna come, which is a very deep thing when you talk about the spirituals in like those type of settings. Right. Um, like if you go to a black church, we have those moments where it's like, you know, a spirit or or something will just get inside of you. you just, yeah, you just gotta let it out, and um, that's really how black people survive in America was through this music and this art form that people want to call jazz. Um, it really got us through to be in some of the worst situations possible. And then you could just wake up and still sing and, and make this great medium, make jazz, make blues, make gospel, make R&B. Come on. It's, that doesn't tell you what we're about and who we are and that we carry that same thing today. You know, it's right. the same thing. Right. Um, well, let's talk about the clarinet, though, uh, just for a second. I'm so fond of the clarinet. It's a little dorky, isn't it, that instrument? It's a little nerdy, I think, traditionally. But then... When I first played it. I was like, you what? Yeah, when I first played the clarinet, I was like, I was 11. Yeah. I wanted to play violin. Uh -huh. I did. I was like, what is what? But I really wanted to play an instrument. And yeah. the only thing I left was clarinets. And I, I had the same assessment. I was like, what is this dorky instrument? <laughs> 
My 11-year-old self was like, this isn't cool. I ain't never heard of no clarinet. Oh, I'll just take it because I want to play an instrument really bad. And I went to the library and because I was looking up, you know, I was like, well, I got I don't even know what this instrument sounds like. That's my first thought as a kid. And so I was looking up Clara music and the only thing that was coming up was like Benny Goodman. This was back in the 90s. So I was, it was cassettes. Yeah. So I was like, you know, Benny Goodman. I was like, no, he ain't cool at all. Hell no. But um, <laughs> I went to the classical section. And I found Mozart's clarinet concerto. And um, that's when I was like, what? The clarinet can do that? Sign me up. And I got obsessed with that uh, that that clarinet concerto. Cause I, I love Mozart because I always love the movie Amadeus. That's like one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, like I even wanted to be a composer because of that scene where he's like telling, where he's like, you know, writing the requiem. He's like telling Salieri, you know, don't take this. Da, 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 da. I was like, ooh, I want to, I want to be able to do that one day. <laughs> you know, so when I saw Mozart's clarinet concerto, I was like, oh hell yeah, I'm doing it. so. I got the sheet music. I've been, I've been studying that piece since, since then. Like I always go back to it. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, talking about this kind of connection thing, which uh, happens sometimes when I reach out through the ether to people and invite them on the show. Often there's some kind of point of connection that is very unexpected and unusual. And so that when I heard about this and your fondness for the, the concertos, uh, I went back and listened to that. Uh, and I thought, oh my gosh. And I was quite uh, honestly moved uh, to tears because we had an arts and ceramics class in our little gifted program deal mm -hmm. and uh, the teacher there would put on classical music as we worked and I know that that song uh, or the concerto was playing at, in that moment where I realized I wanted to become an artist and uh, I thought oh my gosh here it is this is the point of connection uh, with Angel around this what is it about that piece of music do you think um, well, that particular the clarinet concerto. First of all, I didn't know the clarinet could do that. Yes. You know, there's just points where it's like the runs are like beautiful, and you know, the music of Mozart. He won the best composer. I ain't gonna man. <laughs> that Amadeus soundtrack. I have yeah. it on vinyl too. I have listened to that soundtrack since I was a little girl. You know. I I all I know it from back. I know all the arias. I know all the scenes. I know all of it because um, in the requiem, and I'm and I'm actually putting out a requiem this fall, which which was like really inspired because I love Mozart's requiem. It's yeah. so beautiful. Just like, oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> you know, it's like I would listen to it and I would get lost in um, you know, with, with the clarinet concerto, just the runs. Um, the second movement is just beautiful. And then, you know, third move is like a back to the lip, but, 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 da, 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 da. you know, it's like, um, and then I would, I would get the music. I would get the music and then I would play with it. Like, I just, you know, it's one of those things that's always been running in the background of just like, I really enjoy playing it. Um, I even performed it like, you know, cause I was a band and you have like band competitions, you know, sure. have yeah. state, state competition and all that kind of stuff. I, I've always had, and then of course, when I was in college, you know, we did it. And then, you know, college opened up my whole world to to, to clarinet music like Poolink and uh, uh, what's his name? Brahms clarinet concerto. Oh my gosh. Oh, Francois Poolink? Poolink? Yes, because I went to like a real, I went to like a, a Christian school. So, you know, they wasn't going to teach me nothing about jazz or black music or nothing. It was purely white Western evangelical training. Yes. Me, like, all I'm going to hear about is Luther and, and there's, there's not going to be any black people. And, and I, and it was hard being a black student 
in an all-white Christian setting. And that's something that I hear. I actually mentor quite a lot of youth. Um, it's hard being, that's another thing that no one talk about, is being like the only Black person in an institution when it's teaching you music. And you get treated a certain way by your professors. You know, I still have it. I have a young lady I mentor now. And she's going through the same thing. And I was like, I'm, I know what that's like. You feel like you're a shitty musician by the time you're done. When you're like, what? You know, like I was taking conducting class and I was doing really good in it. Me and this other girl was two. We was only two black girls. We was killing it. I mean, we was killing conducting class. And I remember my professor coming to me. He's like, wow, Angel, I'm really surprised you're doing so well at this. Why would you? Be so surprised that I would be good at this. Because I'm right. like, he's like, yeah. I mean, he said yes. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's just that thing where, like, people are surprised that I know classical music. People are surprised that I can play several instruments. And so, you know, that needs to, that doesn't need to, it shouldn't be a surprise, you know, especially if I've been studying music since I was 11. It shouldn't be so, no surprise that I, I know all music. Right. You know, hip hop, I produce hip hop. Yeah. I mean, that you can, all of them are connected. It's all great music. Well, and I don't think if you listen to your music, you would think this is a person that doesn't know what they're talking about and is able to reference, you know, every uh, piece of music, you know, reference every kind of music and have an ability to fuse those things together and to play in between the notes and all that. I mean, it is a great uh, wide amount of knowledge <laughs> that is present in, in those uh, tracks there. I will say that. Well, thank you, Dale. I love knowledge. I love learning new things. You know, it's more of a, it's fun for me. Yeah. Oh, I tell people, look, I'm not going to do nothing if it ain't fun. Yeah. I, I only do things that are, that find me, that is, if it's fun, I'm going to do it. If it's boring, I'm not going to do it. The thing is, what I find fun, somebody <laughs> may not think it's fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I love listening to it. When I was about 13, I had made a conscious. It was about 13 or 14. Now I was very ostracized as a kid. You know, like, I, I had a hard time making friends as a child. It was really difficult. I don't know why. And being in that state of, like, trying to fit in and figure out who you are and all that kind of stuff, um, I came to the conclusion that I needed to be more me. I was like, fuck it. If I can't fit in with anybody, well, then I'm just going to be myself. So I, I, I intentionally opened my mind up. I remember being like, I'm not just going to listen to R&B and hip hop. I'm going to listen to rock. I'm going to listen to country. I'm going to listen to everything. And the great thing about it is I have a father who has a lot of music. Mm. Like my dad had like all of that. And, and my dad only listened to like the really good stuff. So I was digging into Bob Marley. I was listening to, to Led Zeppelin. I was listening to Jimi Hendrix. I was listening to Yes, Yes, I love Yes. You know, because my dad, this is the music of his era, Sly and the Family Stone, to, to, you know, to, to uh, you know, all everything, Funkadelic, yeah. and I intentionally did that as a little girl, and I got addicted to the music, all the jazz, you know, and I didn't know that back then I was just listening, da, 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 da that it was doing something to me. It was it was feeding me. It was providing but, a foundation. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think I would have been able to go that route of just being like, you know, I'm in, I'm going to accept and embrace myself as being odd, whatever people call odd, but I don't think I'm odd at all. <laughs> I think I'm odd or different. I hate when people say, hey, do you know how you're a little strange? No, I don't know how I'm strange. Please tell me how I'm strange. <laughs> you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. 
You know, um, I, I just don't know how to not be myself. I, I don't know how to do that. I've tried. I've tried to, let me try to be someone else. It never works. It's always disastrous results. Yeah, and so yeah. I learned early on that if I'm going to survive in this world any way that I can, the more that I am true to myself and what I like, what I like to do. And, and people can like whatever they want. In fact, people don't even have to like what I like. I don't care. You do not have to get with this program <laughs> at all. You can just be you and be happy. But I have to be me and be happy, period. Yes. Uh, yes. If I wasn't ostracized and bullied, I don't think I would have, like, realized that. So I'm nice. grateful for Some it. Some people don't realize it ever. True. <laughs> and they're missing out because it's so <laughs> much fun when I'm just myself, because it's like then and everyone is their own person. Like no one has your DNA. That's true. I'm the only one with this DNA. And I am the only person who can occupy this space right now. No matter what. Yeah. This is my autonomous space. So like things are gonna go my way. Period. <laughs> Love's not hurting no one else. And you can do you. I will do me. There's that well, that's the thing too. Cause you know, like yes, as human beings, there's this thing. We're in relationship together. Like we have a relationship with the trees. We're in a relationship. We need them. They need us. We we need this as humanity. You know what I mean? And we've gotten away from that idea that like, okay, you are you. You have your autonomous space, but you share this space with people. That means there has to be like some some agreements that we must make. You know, one of the agreements that I make at a lot of my concerts is like, look, let's just make an agreement. I'll be nice to you. I'll be kind to you. I'll be as understanding and and even put up with some of you bull. But I, you know what? It's going to be hard, but I'm going to try my best to be good to you. And you do the same to me. Yeah. Can we just work on that little simple thing? Put that into rotation. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's so important to put that out at the beginning and in, in every relationship, I would argue, yes. uh, because it, it really uh, does away with these sort of historical and cultural assumptions that have gotten us into so many tight Ooh. spots and, and conflict, really. But if you just address it in the beginning and before you get to the point, before you enter into the thing, you can't untangle yourself when you're in it. But if you if you talk about what the ground rules are going in, it's just so much better. <laughs> better and, you know that they you know us as libras we hate conflict i oh. don't like it but what i i learned i was like you're gonna have to learn how to be comfortable in conflict because it's necessary it's an act of love it's compassion conflict and putting boundaries around people is an act of love it's okay to tell somebody look you can do this to me but you cannot do this to me mm-hmm. and, and that's all that a boundary is and if and that's how you know who your friends are because if i tell somebody you know, you can't do this to me anymore. A friend who loves you be like, oh, I won't, I won't do that because I love you and I want you to be comfortable. If somebody right. crosses that boundary, you know, like in the uh, uh, Bugs Bunny, he's like, if you cross this line, this means war, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like that, you know? It's just like we have to have boundaries around each other and we have to respect each other's boundaries. You know, as a Black person, I'm putting up a lot of boundaries right now. Because I had to, because them boundaries have been broken for hundreds of years. Right. So yes, there's going to be a lot of boundaries. There's going to be a lot of, uh, you're doing, uh, it's going to be a lot of that. And what I'm asking for people who are not black is, is, is to just, you know, validate and just understand that like we're going, we, I'm trying to figure this out for myself as a black person. You know, it's something I think about every day. You don't have to think about it every day. You don't have to. No one has, Asian person doesn't have to think about the concerns of black people every day. They're thinking about the things that's happening with them. 
But me as a black person, I have to think about the things that are happening to me. And I do it through my music. Yeah. You know? And it's working. I feel like it's really, really working. It's putting the boundaries there. And I'm getting more people respectful of boundaries. They're like, we got you, ain't you know, of all races, you know, like being like, no, no, that's we, we see where you coming from, you know, and that's largely part because I'm on a label that does that. I, mm-hmm. I'm on a label. I'm on International Anthem. It's run by two by two white men. All right. And we've had the discussion of this is problematic again, just because it's like you got two white men with all these black artists again. We've talked about this because it's there. The uncomfortability of that, like, OK, in order for us to do anything, we got to go through whiteness to do it. You know, these are some of the things that come up. All right. And I have to talk about it. And so um, that's what I, I appreciate being on the label because we talk about these things. I don't have any solutions. I don't talk about these things for solutions. I, don't, I can't solve them. <laughs> what? You're on problem. <laughs> this isn't about solutions. This is about what it is. Yeah. You well, know, it's just the information. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we're coming up on a year since uh, George Floyd's death. And uh, when it, on your album, uh, you remix and quote this poem uh, by Margaret Burroughs, uh, What Shall I Tell My Children Who Are Black? Um, uh, first question was, when did you first encounter that poem? And then, uh, uh, gosh, I think it would be so much better off if more people had known that poem. <laughs> yes. Oh, that poem is very special. So, um so many of the people in the Brotherhood, we were, were we started a, a collective called the Participatory Music Coalition, and this was birthed out of our jam sessions that were happening in my house. Like people just come over, we just jam. We're like, "Yo, y'all, let's start doing stuff in the city." But we didn't want to be like a band, you know. We were inspired by the ACM. We were inspired by the orchestra. They were like a community, you know. Yeah. And so we're like, "Well, let's make the Participatory Music Coalition." And so we started doing little shows around the city, and um, we got this show to do these. Um, concerts in the park and they're like yeah good we did a proposal and that year they were dedicating uh it to Gwendolyn Brooks and Margaret Burroughs hmm. and we were so excited because Margaret Burroughs is very important to our collective because before that collective we were in a collective called the Margaret Burroughs Collective which met at the Southside Community Arts Center which is one of the oldest art centers in the country started by Dr. Margaret Burroughs ah. and her, her house is like right down the street from there and then look at the universe they my studio was right across from her house okay so like i had a residency at this at this uh studio and so it was just there was just my studio like my office i would be there all the time and i'm looking out the window and there's margaret pearl's house so it's like margaret pearl's was just always kind of like wafting around me and um that summer um we when we did the show in the park um, I was like, let's do a whole suite. So we did like the Brooks Margaret Brooks Burroughs sound suite, and I composed a few things. And I found that poem, "What Shall I Tell My Children Who Are Black?" Because I knew her artwork, I knew her history of starting the Chicago uh, DuSable Museum. Like it's mm, the black. Yeah. she started the DuSable Museum. You know, she's an icon. And so when I started reading her poetry, and I actually just got this, this is from a bookstore. Humanist and Glad to Be One by Dr. Margaret Burroughs. There you go. I looked at it. It was signed by her, too. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, you know, like, there's a there's a, a record store I used to work at, and they would get books in from all the time. But anyway, she's very important figure to me. And when I uh, first encountered that poem, it was that summer. And when I read it, I was like, wow. 
we still have to ask this damn question. Right. And 50 that's years on. Yeah. Years on. And it was the most beautiful show. Oh, my goodness. I, we haven't recorded somewhere. It was the most beautiful show because we were outside in the park. And here's the thing. This is in Washington Park where Sun Ra used to go and hand out his pamphlets. Like, there's a little stage there, like, right there. It's that same park. So we were there on that little stage playing What Shall I Tell My Children in Black. And then, like, these kids from the neighborhood came. These cute little children came up on their bikes. They got on stage, and they were singing, what? It was, like, the most beautiful, <laughs> glorious wow. summer moment. I got to find that recording because it was so beautiful. Like, um, And it, I think it was just, you know, even though we're talking about something so challenging and hard, you see how music can take some of those things, and, and um, there's a beauty in it a joy and suffering thing going in it and to hear these babies you know these little kids get on stage singing this song um, that margaret burroughs is addressing to little children what should i tell my children and there's these little children literally singing what should i tell my children it's like those uh it's like a fractal or something you know like them dolls with like the russian dolls you know it's like a you know i'm thinking like on an artistic level like this is like a mirror of a mirror of a mirror happening right before my eyes, you know? Yeah, that's beautiful to get to that frequency uh, mm-hmm. of, of just pure emotion and where everything is uh, in harmony, perhaps in balance, <laughs> if I may, <laughs> on a cosmic level. Uh, that's uh, that's pretty terrific. The same kind of thing that I think you get to uh, by listening through your album and uh, when you get to the end of those um songs where you like you said you had a kind of difficult relationship with the audience but by the end there you were together um mm-hmm. just uh, just marvelous uh terrific all love at the end of the day it really is it really love, is love isn't always oh i love you love is hey get your shit together that's <laughs> not true like get your shit now stop that that's so if somebody does that to you, especially our parents, <laughs> um, they did that to us because they loved us, did they not? They did. I didn't like it. But <laughs> when they said, stop that, <laughs> stop that lying, don't do that. Right. When they did that, justifiably, we needed that. That was love. Yeah. You know? And so it's the same thing. Yeah. A little course correction. A little, it's still love. <laughs> <laughs> this hurt me more than it hurts you. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Angel, this has been so terrific. And I feel like we also arrived at a certain frequency here. And I'm just so thankful for you taking some time uh, to spend with us. Thank you, Dell, for having me on the show. Yeah. And uh, continued success. Where can people find out? You've got a, a new uh, single that came out. I love an 18 minute single, by the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> I have a single out. I'm coming out with. Three, four new albums this year. So four. Four, yes. I'm busy. I'm up in here. I was ah, like a mad one. You know, I used to play this game with my brother. I used to freak him out. But I used to play like Dr. Jekyll and Hyde. I'd be like, hi, little brother. How are you? And then I miss my hair. I'm like, ah, you free. But I, I feel like I do that musically. I just go into my mad scientist mode. So like, I'm excited. Three new albums. One's a solo. One's with my new trio, which is an all-woman trio. Sisters of the Nitty Gritty. Uh, bassist Aniat. I'm sorry. Bassist Brooklyn Sky Scott and uh, keyboardist Aniat. We're a trio. We're opening for the Sun Ra this summer. Ah, we're Ooh. opening for this summer and then i'm also putting out an album uh but these these are gonna be three tapes by the way it's all a trilogy 
Um, so it's solo, it's the Sisters of the Nitty Gritty. And then the last one um, is going to be with sound artist, amazing, incredible sound artist, composer We on We. Uh, we did an album together, too, if y'all want to hear that one. And uh, we performed at Tusk Music Festival. So I wanted to, like, do some music with these two groups for sure. But I wanted to do, like, a mixtape type thing. And then wow. I'm coming out with my Requiem probably end of this year, early next. Whew. That's the big one. So, yeah. yeah I'm busy. Too. Yeah. And uh, so you will be uh, back out there uh, performing as well throughout Chicago. You bet. Yeah, I got my first vaccination, so number two in like two weeks, and I will be fully immune. So that's I will, great. I will be ready to travel. Like I said, I'm going to be in New York, and uh, you know this orchestra. I can't believe that. I'm like, whoa, we're opening for the orchestra. You know, it's just crazy. Yeah, that's huge. And uh, Marshall Allen's actually going to be on the Requiem album. Like, I'm mixing that all myself. So this year, you know, it's a lot of work. I'm excited to put all this music out, and I'm excited that people want to hear it. And if you want to hear more, follow me on Instagram. It's Angel the Oracle. Hit me up on Instagram. I try to answer all my messages. Can <laughs> <I laughs> you just hit that? That's all I even got on here. Yes, Dale, right. Dale hit me up on Instagram, y'all. I'm <laughs> telling you, I will answer you back. Like, yeah, let's go. I, I <laughs> so. can attest. I'm glad you do. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, great success with all of that. Uh, I feel even more fortunate you'd be able to take any amount of time away from <laughs> all of that work that you're doing. Um, and you. uh, hope to see you and talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks. All right. I'm so, so appreciative of Angel for visiting with us in the deep night. What a time of it. What a force. And I tell you, uh, be on the lookout. Angel's already been named brightest new jazz star by The Guardian, and she's only just begun. Catch her on tour, follow her on Instagram, do what you must, and let's be kind to each other out there. We're all processing loss and trauma and feeling what it's like to be in one another's company once again. I have a feeling that this is going to be just as weird a time as lockdown was. When the surge of reopening happens like a flood instead of a trickle, and we're just not going to know exactly what to do. So have patience as in all things. We'll get through it. Thank you for joining me this week. I wish you good health and happiness. Don't forget to cut the sleeves off your turtlenecks. It's getting warm out there. And remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is produced and performed by James Bewley, seasoned theme song by Mariam Kadus of Space Moth, seasoned podcast icon by Philippa Beleza, incidental music heard throughout the program by the talented roster at Howler Hills Farm in Ohio. Remember to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts or tune in and stream the show on Spotify, SoundCloud, Pandora, or Stitcher, wherever you find fine audio content. To see any of our live shows or other short videos, visit our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Radio, and follow us on Instagram at Seaver is the handle. Thanks again for listening, and remember this season to keep your portals open and at a safe distance. <laughs>